everybody, it's Brian Nemhauser, and want to welcome you again to another episode of Real Hawk Talk with uh, myself and co-host uh, Jeff Simmons. Jeff, welcome back. It's a great, great show you guys had on Sunday. I watched it all today and happy to be back on the show. Yeah, we missed you, dude. I'm, I'm glad you spent time with family and friends. It's a much better way to spend your time than uh, just talking Seahawks all the time, which honestly, it's about the only thing I can manage to do lately. How was uh how was your holiday weekend? It was good. I'm I'm, I'm still beaming over the Sheldon Richardson trade, man. Yeah. Uh, even though I was kind of out of town and had some stuff to do up north for a wedding and some family stuff, I, I, that's that was still the top of my mind. I I can't get over it. They were able to pull that off, and but we kind of had that on the show almost a month ago, and it kind of came to fruition last minute. And I'm still beaming. I can't I can't get over that they were able to pull that off, and how exciting this team is right now. Yeah, it's, it's just a huge move. It's a huge move to – I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but um, I tweeted about it. I don't think you can overemphasize. I mean, the Seahawks went in with the draft, into the draft with a clear plan, and they Pete Carroll and John Schneider wanted a three technique, which I know is, like, detailed for some people, but there's a specific defensive line position, offensive tackle position that they wanted to draft, and they wanted to draft – disruptive guy that could be a pass rusher and help really collapse the pocket and, and help against these great pastors like Brady and, and Breeze and other folks like that. And they thought they got him. They thought they got him with Malik McDowell and everything was looking great. They got him in for practices. He was looking great. They were super excited. And then lo and behold, he has a, a random ATV accident and their whole plans change. At that point, 99 out of a hundred. 999 out of 1,000 GMs just kind of shrug their shoulders and like, all right, next man up, let's figure out what we can do. John Schneider and Pete Carroll went out and got a Pro Bowl 26-year-old proven three-technique defensive tackle who we don't have to guess whether he is a Pro Bowl-level player. He is one of the most dominant defensive linemen in the NFL, and now he's part of one of the best defenses in history. So – how they did that in really the span of a month, I mean, that is executive of the year stuff. And, and we've talked about in the past, you know, you and I offline, it is a crime that John Schneider has never won executive of the year. It's crazy. And, yeah, some people think it's a one-year rental and they gave up a lot. But even Scott McLuhan said it on Twitter the other day, probably the best evaluator of talent maybe out in the football industry. You can't get a guy like that at the bottom of the second round. And – what really struck me was I, I was reading some of your tweets yesterday and an interior disruptive defensive tackle, a three technique, which really the Seahawks haven't had an elite player at this position. They're as almost rare as a franchise quarterback. And you kind of went through the list of all of them. And it's crazy they were able to get a guy this close to the start of the season. They already had a pretty good, exciting defensive line group going in. And now you add this guy. They just haven't had a defensive line like this. And I said in, I think, in our first episode when we were previewing Malik McDowell, a lot of people, there was so much angst about cornerbacks, who the second cornerback would be Sherman. The best way to beat these great quarterbacks isn't necessarily only sticky coverage. It's getting in their face up the middle because you can't escape the pocket like that. And you've seen Sheldon Richardson had great success against Tom Brady in the past. Now a guy like Carson Palmer who maybe can't move around as right. well. Right. This makes a big difference. Yep. That's exactly right. Everything really changes um, with this addition. And 
Look, uh, there's been a lot of movement, a lot of people changing places, and that's a good reminder um, to talk about one of our new sponsors, um, Altitude Homes. John Hurlbutt, who's a friend of mine, um, is a sponsor of, of Hawk Blogger and of this podcast. And uh, Altitude Homes, they are a great realtor down in South King, um, Pierce, and Thurston counties. And as you all know, hopefully by now, all of the proceeds we get on Hawk Blogger, we donate to Ben's Fund, which is a great charity started by John Schneider's wife, Tracy Schneider, benefits parents um, of autistic children that can't afford the expensive autism treatments. I myself have a, an autistic child, um, so it really brings it home a full circle for me to, to do this. And, and John and Altitude Homes are a great sponsor. Um, they are actually doing something really cool where um, if you close a transaction with them, you sell a home, you buy a home, they are going to donate an additional $500 to Ben's Fund for every transaction that they close. So please go to altitude-re.com slash HB. That's altitude.com slash, sorry, altitude.com dash RE slash HB. So um, great guy, really trust him. Um, highly recommend you, you you work with him and, and uh, the folks over at Altitude Homes. So I'm guessing they're gonna get some business, Jeff, be because, uh, like we said, there's been a lot of people moving around, and um, let's set the show for the night. I'll let people know what's going to come. You have a great guest um, that should be joining us here in about 10 minutes. Uh, why don't you tell folks about him? And, uh, yeah, we were pretty excited to lock this guy down over the last couple hours, and we really want to dig into the week one matchup, and we want to get a, a pretty good in-depth look at the Packers, so... We, we got Aaron Nagler, who used to cover the league from a national perspective and now has a, a pretty cool job covering Green Bay on a full-time basis. He used to be one of the – started up as like an unknown Packers blogger, and he really rose up the ranks and now has landed a pretty cool job. So we really want to dig into the Packers roster, kind of see how what their view is Seattle, especially after this trade. And these two teams have gone back and forth over the years with the fail Mary, that crazy NFC championship game. There's kind of been some bad blood there. So there's always kind of been a history with Seattle and Green Bay from Mike Holmgren and John Schneider. Russell Wilson played at school in Wisconsin. So he'll probably have a pretty unique perspective, not only on the Packers, but on the Seahawks. So it should be fun to dig into them. Yeah, uh, it's going to be great. We're going to spend um, as much time as Aaron will give us, uh, sometimes more than, than he's willing, uh, yeah. and talk all about what's going on with uh, the Packers matchup. We'll, we'll dive in. I've got a bunch of questions. I know Jeff does as well. And, you know, there are so many connections between these two teams. It's crazy. And it doesn't seem to lessen over time. I mean, you know, we've got Eddie Lacy now over here. You've got um, all sorts of changes that have been happening. And I want to talk a little bit about Dom Capers and, and what they've been able to do against Russell Wilson the past couple of times they've played him. I think they believe they've figured out how to defend him. We'll see. And let's talk about that. My Tale of the Tape column, who hope, which hopefully um, all of you check out every Wednesday. Um, uh, we'll be going live tomorrow morning, but Real Hawk Talk listeners and, and watchers are going to get to see a preview of that. So I will show you how these two teams match up, at least how they matched up relative to rank last year. And there's some surprises in there, some things that honestly it was a, I had to remember myself um, that were how these two teams stacked up last season. So we'll get into all that detail um, we'll get into all sorts of nitty gritty. And of course, 
Um, if time permits, we'll take some questions on the chat um, for those that are watching live. So um, a lot of great stuff coming tonight. Yeah, going into the year, like this is a pretty crazy game to kick off the season. If I was reading uh, the MMQB today, I, I don't know where this article popped up from, but they were going over their Super Bowl picks, and I'd say 95% of the picks from the NFC. One was Seattle. Almost all of them were Green Bay. So I I know Vegas has maybe shifted Seattle after the Richardson trade as maybe the NFC favorite, but a lot of the lo- a lot of the national media are still banking on Green Bay. Maybe that's just Aaron Rodgers. Top to bottom, I would say I think Seattle has a better roster. But when you have a great quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, that's always going to make you a Super Bowl favorite. So it's going to be interesting to see how they match up right away. Yeah, and that's one of the things I want to talk about with Aaron when he comes on. So um, I mentioned, I think to you guys, I don't know when which one of these episodes we were talking about it, but look, um, Vegas odds have been very consistent. They've they've been uh, Patriots are the favorite, and I think that's fair. I mean, yeah. who else could you be uh, pick there as the favorite right now? And then it has kind of gone back and forth between Green Bay being number two, Green Bay and Seattle being tied at two. Um, now Seattle has actually moved out in front um, uh, all alone into second place in terms of Vegas odds as of this morning. And one of the questions I've had is that offensive line for the Packers, when I look at that roster, Look, they lost Josh Sitton. They lost TJ Lang over the last, really the last 12 months because they cut yeah. Josh Sitton right as the season season was going to begin last year. And um, those are two Pro Bowl guards. And Sitton's now a captain over on Chicago. TJ Lang, Seahawks tried to get, uh, signed with the Lions for, for big money. Um, I don't think you just replace two pro bowlers, you know, easily. And I think the guys that they have coming in, I have questions about. So I want to ask Aaron about that. Plus we've got the Brian Bulaga injury that he hasn't practiced yet as far as I know. So we want to check in on that for sure. Yeah. It's the, the crazy part about these two teams is they, they win in such different ways and they try to attack the game and, and they're both maybe two of the most stable organizations in the league, two of the better head coaches in the league. Sean Schneider played a big part in hiring Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. I know they go way back a ways, I think, back to their Kansas City days. And Arizona tries to win with offense. I mean, Green Bay tries to win with offense. They they vapes their whole system around their quarterback. They don't rely too much on their running game. And their defense has more or less been below average. Last year, their secondary really couldn't stop anyone. Seattle's a run the ball, play great defense, make explosive plays. So they really go about the game in a different way. And both won one Super Bowl over the last since 2010, since Pete Carroll got here. So it's it's really a contrast of styles. It's two really good teams built differently. And Green Bay, who hasn't historically added a lot of outside players this year, they brought in Martel's Bennett, Michael Bennett's brother, tight end. They, over the last week, they brought in two players Seahawks fans should be very familiar with from San Francisco, Ahmad Brooks as one of their new outside linebackers and Quinton Dial, a defensive lineman who's going to rotate in on the defensive line. So that's three outside free agents for a team that almost never adds them. So I don't know if their roster was getting stale or maybe they sensed the windows, something we've heard in Seattle a little bit but they've kind of gone against their MO and they've probably been a purely draft and develop team. So it's going to be interesting to see now that they're a bit older, more reliant on veterans, 
how good is Clay Matthews at this stage? That's another thing I'm interested in because – Good question. They lost Julius Peppers, one of their better pass rushers, a guy who had given Seattle trouble. And outside of Mike Daniels, their great defensive lineman, do they really have like an A-list defensive player on that team? Well, that that's interesting. I, I what I've I've noticed. I mean, their secondary I think has some decent potential. Obviously, you got Haha Clinton Dix, who was I believe an All Pro safety last year. Um, so he's an up and comer, solid player, and I think. I'm not mistaken. He got at least one of the many interceptions that Russell Wilson threw in Green Bay oh, uh, last year. So uh, they do have some talent in the secondary. And um, Clay Matthews, I'm just looking up his numbers here. He had five sacks last year. And if you look at his numbers, let's look really quickly. Um, over the last few years, it's been a while since he's had been an elite pass rusher, and I think the team's been using him a little differently. Um, so his yeah. yeah, his sack totals were five last year, six and a half the year before, eleven in two thousand fourteen, seven and a half the year before that. So, um, yeah, I think they've been using more like middle linebacker in some other spots, and it's, I'm kind of curious how they will use him this year. Hmm. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of role he has. Matthews has played, you're right. He's played some inside linebacker when he came up in the league and he was dominant. He was an edge rusher in the 3-4 defense and he hasn't had success really the last couple of years. I don't know if his body has slowed him down or he doesn't have that explosive athleticism like he used to, but that's been their Achilles heel. They haven't had a very good defense. And in the playoffs, as we've seen, you need to play really good defense and you can't just rely on your quarterback, which kind of – is the whole theory of how Pete Carroll tries to build his teams. He wants it as easy as possible for the quarterback to excel. And Green Bay is going the other way with it. And that's why they probably haven't had the most playoff success, considering they've had maybe the best quarterback on the planet. Well, you know, it's funny, Jeff. I, I mentioned it, and I, I, I haven't had a chance to look it up yet, and I'm going to use it hopefully in my column tomorrow. But I don't know if it was Dom Capers or someone, one of the players um, that mentioned it after the game last year when Russell Wilson was picked off, what was it, five times? Um, something like that. Um, and they mentioned that basically they feel like they've got a plan for him. Um, and if you look back, uh, Russell's played them, you know, this last time in Green Bay, it didn't go that well. He played them a couple years ago in Green Bay and did okay. Um, he had a, a late turnover that was pretty costly. Um, and then you had the NFC Championship game where he had four interceptions. So um, there is some credence to this idea that they have some approach that gives Russell trouble. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if what we saw in the preseason, which is the best Russell Wilson we've ever seen potentially, um, can he start fast? And I think overall, it's another topic that's independent of Green Bay for us to get into, maybe after Aaron, is this team has not started fast in the past few years, and it's cost them. Um, they've, they've had to really jump back um, late in the season um, with big runs at, in order to do that. And the year they went to the Super Bowl and won, when they went 13 and three, they started off like seven and one. Yeah. Um, they started off fast. So it's not that Pete Carroll always starts off slow, but I think this team, you know, it's important to see if him 
uh, sorry, if Pete Carroll and guys like Russell Wilson can get going right from the jump, um, have a big game. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, one more thing there: the 2013 season, even though they started fast overall, yeah, um, that first game was in Carolina, and they had to win on a last-second touchdown to who? Jermaine Curse. Jermaine Curse. That's right. So. Yeah. That was a low scoring, I want to say 17 13 kind of game. Or it was like 13 7, maybe. That 13 was... 7, that sounds right. Yeah, it was really low scoring. So um, I think Russell threw for 300 yards in that game, but, but uh, they did not put up a lot of points. No. And uh, they haven't been the quickest starting team. They usually like to peak in the second half of the season. And even looking at this matchup, Seattle hasn't won at Lambeau Field, I think, since Mike Holmgren's first year. I think it was 1999. And really the closest they've come is that we want the ball, we're going to score a playoff game that Seattle probably should have won. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get into that too much. but Alex Bannister, baby. Yeah, yeah. I'm still still not over that one. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's such an interesting matchup to start the season. It's a really good you – know, I know it's a measuring stick game, but, yeah, it's a good way to open the year. I think it's a really good challenge for them, and I want to see how they hold up against one of the NFC's best teams. Well, I will I will say that um, I may be one of the few people that does not consider I'm. we're going to take the ball and we're going to score as one of Matt Hasselbeck's lowlights in his career. I actually think oh, no. it's a highlight. I liked it too. I loved it. As a Seahawks fan who, you know, had so many, you know, quiet, humble players <laughs> that – kind of faded into the background. I thought it was great to have somebody that believed in the team and stepped up on the national stage and had that bravado. And, man, like you said, I think they would have done it if um, Alex Bannister hadn't hadn't uh, run his route farther than it was supposed to be run. And, and Matt threw a, a quick out to uh, on a blitz and was expecting Bannister to cut his route short. And... Uh, didn't do it. So it was a, they picked sixth and that was the end of the game. But I was in a bar in Seattle watching that game. And man, I went from being so high to so low, so fast. That was uh that was tough. So um, while we're waiting here for Aaron, I want to get into talking about the the Packers offensive line. Um, One of the things that people are aware of is that, uh, as I mentioned, they lost a couple of, Pro Bowl level guards in the last uh, year, and they just recently extended Lane Taylor, who's um, their left guard, a young player. He's reasonably good. I don't think he's great, but he, he's a he's a decent player, and he's young. Um, and then, as as Jeff mentioned, they replaced uh, Lane with Jari Evans. One of the things that's interesting about Jari Evans is a lot of Seahawks fans have. You know, and including you know John Schneider himself, have kind of revisited and second guessed the decision that the Seahawks had to let him go last year. He was in Seahawks camp. Um, they decided in the last round to let him go. John Schneider said he thinks that was a mistake. They were too young. Yeah, Evans went on. He went back to New Orleans and started for them all year and played well. And now he's back in Green Bay, or he's in Green Bay. And so it's going to be interesting to talk to Aaron about uh, what exactly that's looking like. And speak of the devil, uh, or the angel, and he appears. Uh, welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you for having me. 
Can you hear me? That's my first question. We can hear you just fine. Okay, very good. I never know. I'm using a newfangled mic, so you know, you never know technology. <laughs> it's it's coming through loud and clear, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, why don't you go ahead and uh, kick kick things off? I know you've you've been chomping at the bit to ask Aaron a bunch, and and if you can give quick introduction so people know a little bit more about Aaron. Yeah, Aaron is one of the best Packers voices in the media. He's had a handful of different oh, jobs covering oh, the best. Go on, though. Go on. He knows the team inside and out. He's spent time as a blogger for the team. He had some jobs as a uh, different national websites. And now Aaron is probably one of the more unique and cool setups out there. So if, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the Seahawks Packers, can you kind of give a breakdown of what, what you're up to now and kind of your, your setup with your new, your new job? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I work for uh, Gannett covering the Packers. Um, I live in New York City, but I cover a team in Green Bay, which can only happen in 2017. <laughs> um, you know, I exist here through the regular season. My schedule is pretty similar every week. I, you know, spend either Monday through Saturday or Tuesday through Saturday here in New York City doing basically what I've done throughout my entire career on my blog. Um, and then, but the only kind of difference now is that there is a there is a corporation willing to fund my plane ticket and and hotel fare, uh, so you know I fly to all the games. They fly me into Green Bay. I'll be flying in Saturday, um, and then I go you know I go to all the games and I go to the combine. I go to the draft. Blah 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 blah. Whatever. Uh, but I very much kind of my home base is New York City. So my charge really is to. Uh, make sure that I am on top of all discussions that are happening real time about the Packers online. And also to kind of bring out, to be a voice for our coverage uh, on the internet and to make sure that, you know, when our guys are producing content, whether it's written video, whatever, that I'm helping get that into the kind of the bloodstream of social media. So I, I'm very much, you know, driven on the social side of things, on the video side of things. I don't do a whole lot of writing, uh, but what little writing I do, I enjoy, but I very much kind of exist on this side of things, on the internet, doing things like Google Hangouts with with people who love football. It's what I do. Awesome. <laughs> I think there's a lot of jealous listeners out there. It sounds like a- I can't complain. Gig. It is, it, it definitely is. And I, I don't, I don't you know, discount that for a second. Awesome. Um, you know, I promised Jeff he could start off with questions, but I'm like so rude. I, I can't. I can't wait. I've been. I've been begging. You know, uh, to get a chance to to dive into some Packers questions. And you walked in uh, or joined just as we were talking about the Packers offensive line. And a um, couple quick questions off the top. One, you know, Pete Carroll tends to be really cagey about injuries, and he says, you know, he's no. coming back, and you kind of know what's going on, and. Uh, and then the player doesn't play, or right. Know, I'm curious. Brian he had a bit. Of, he had a he had a bit of drama today with uh, Thomas Rawls. I see. That was uh, yeah. That was interesting. Well, he slow plays things, and if he, the guy's not playing by Wednesday, he's not playing. Right. That's pretty much the case with Pete Carroll. But uh, how does it work with McCarthy? What are we looking at with Bulaga? He says he thinks he's going to be back. Um, I know he didn't practice yesterday. I haven't had a chance to hmm. check on today. Um, what's what's the read there on on his availability? Well, they didn't practice today. Tuesdays are the off day. That's right. Okay. But you're right that he didn't practice yesterday. McCarthy, his kind of, he's very upfront. Mike, I tell you what, Mike 
gets a lot of grief for his handling of the media and the way he is with the media. And I understand it. He's he calls it himself. He calls it boring by design. You know, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't want to call, create drama for people in the locker room or for fellow uh, people who work other places in the franchise, etc. And I get that and I appreciate it. Um, but the one nice thing about that is he is. He doesn't go. Yeah, I, I don't think he's ever been caught in a lie at the podium. Hmm. So if if he tells you that you know a guy looks good for week one, he means it. He that's what he thinks, etc. And that is what he said about Bulaga. Uh, I believe it was the week leading up to the final preseason game. Now Bulaga didn't practice on Monday, and that has got to be the a number one thing that everybody will be looking at tomorrow. You know, it's their first injury report. It's their first time they're required to even talk about injuries. Uh, you know, throughout preseason and training camp, uh, Mike gives us so much grief whenever we talk, ask anything injury related, just because he's not by, you know, NFL rules, he's not required to say anything about injuries. So right. he's always as cagey as possible and is kind of, he says as little as possible. But starting tomorrow, they will have to give Bulaga a designation on the injury report. And I think then we'll, that coupled with whether he practices or not will give us a better indication. If I were to bet right now, sitting here tonight, late Tuesday, my hunch is that Belaga doesn't play. Um, does not. Does not play. Uh, I just think just the way the way the injury is trending, the way it happened in practice, and the fact that he oftentimes when guys suffer uh, injuries that aren't that severe – they'll be still left out in practice for a while. They'll hang out, they'll watch practice, et cetera. That happened with Josh Jones uh, a couple weeks ago where he suffered an ankle injury and he was on the cart with a bag of ice and we all thought, okay, here we go. But he sat there for a good hour before they brought him inside to be looked at. With Balaga, he was taken immediately inside, couldn't put any weight on the leg, uh, which ended up being an ankle injury, we found out later. So... That coupled with the fact that he didn't practice on Monday after a significant amount of time off the injury. Now, they could just be, you know, being cautious. They've been known to be that way. They're, they are conservative by nature, their medical staff. So that's a possibility. But, uh, yeah, no, unless he practices – if he doesn't practice tomorrow, I, 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 there's a good chance we're going to see Cal Murphy at right tackle. That was my next question was who who is his, who would be the replacement and, and what kind of player are we looking at there? Well, Kyle Murphy, you know, it's funny because they drafted Jason Spriggs last year in the second round. They moved up to get him. Uh, I, You know, if you ask anyone in the organization over a beer late at night, they'll tell you the idea was he was going to be able to be their six-man, their swing-man tackle who could, you know, step in at either spot, left or right. But as camp has gone on, it's become more and more apparent that Kyle Murphy is your first guy off the bench at right tackle. Hmm. Uh, Jason Spriggs has had a really, really tough camp. He has not looked good. Uh, he, if anything, he's regressed. And I think this is just guesswork on my part, kind of piecing things together. But I would think that if Balaga were healthy and, say, David Bakhtiari went down at left tackle – Bulaga would move over to left tackle and they would put Kyle Murphy at right tackle pro before they put Jason Spriggs in at left tackle. Mm. That's how bad it's been. Uh, he's an athlete. He has the strength. He can do it. He, for whatever reason, I think there's a mental block. I've talked to a couple of coaches and some current and for, former NFL players 
uh, offensive linemen who think, you know, the guy's got all the tools for whatever reason, he's just way in his head and in just going a million miles an hour. He needs to slow down and let the game come to him. But until that happens, Kyle Murphy is the guy I think who's going to be first off the bench. And he's, you know, he's a bit of a brawler. He's a backup for a reason. He, I don't, you know, I think speed is going to get to him. Uh, they're going to have to give him a little bit of help, even though McCarthy is very, very against that in his scheme. Hmm. Uh, the whole idea of, you know, Mike giving a guy help at the tackle position is is really rare. Um, so much so that, you know, a couple of years ago, probably the game that was the impetus for them drafting Spriggs in the first place was when they put Don Barclay out at left tackle and Bakhtiari did go down two years ago, they went down to Arizona and Barclay was an absolute disaster. And for whatever reason, because McCarthy is probably the most stubborn NFL coach I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, they just, con they refused to give him help. That's just the scheme. It's the way it's drawn up is the way it's designed and it's how they operate. And, and Rogers to, you know, to put him in this, it, Rogers has repeatedly said, I don't care who's at tackle. I don't want them to give be given help. I want more options in the passing game. He said that a couple of times. So, you know, that both of them want this idea of, you know, five guys, there's tackles left out on islands. But because of that, you know, these guys are put in really vulnerable positions. And I have a hard time thinking that going into week one, facing the Seahawks, facing Michael Bennett and Averill and all these guys that the Seahawks can send at you, that they're not going to give Kyle Murphy in his first NFL start possibly uh, just a little bit of help, whether it's, you know, keeping Martellus Bennett in, whether it's putting Ripkowski over to his side, et cetera, it, whatever little help they can give him. I, I got to think at this point tomorrow, we'll, they'll, they'll know if Belaga is in line to play or not, and then they'll probably start tailoring the game plan if that's the case. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, the Seahawks did have some success a few years back in the season opener when Seattle played Green Bay, and I think it was Marshall right. Newhouse at right tackle when Belaga got hurt. Uh, yeah, was it? No, no, it was um the failed first round pick whose name? Yeah, is it's Sherrod. Sherrod. Derek Sherrod. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Were. He came. He came in, and, and and you know that was the that was opening week 2014, and the moment Belago went down, that game was over. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it, it was, it was, they were, they were, I mean, the Seattle was pretty much in control for the good majority of the beginning of that game, but there was still a chance the Packers could mount a comeback, maybe make it a game. But the moment Belago went down, that game was over. All right. So I guess sticking with the offensive line, the big move Green Bay made this offseason once they lost TJ Lang mm -hmm. was a name that's not the most popular in Seattle last year if they kind of watched <laughs> their whole situation with him. Right. Yari Evans. How has he looked so far? And, is he a pretty uh, – that an easy transition from Lang to Evans this year? I, I tell you what. I mean, it's funny because when they signed him and the way they did, which was literally the day before the draft, um, which helped open up their draft. You know, they didn't have to target uh, any offensive linemen early. But, uh, yeah, and all I heard on Twitter uh, for weeks was, well, he couldn't even make Seattle squat. How good, <laughs> how good can he be? You know <laughs> – Seattle, desperate for offensive line help. Let him go. He must be trash. <laughs> like that is, I, I heard all day, every day for weeks. That's what I heard and, or what I read. And I got to admit, I, you know, there's some validity to that. So I sat down and I watched the tape. And I think within two games worth of watching his tape from 2016, I tweeted out, oh yeah, they're going to be fine. Like he's going to be, he's going to be your day one starter. 
Um, they're going to lose a little bit in the running game from what they had with, with TJ, but in the past game, which is their bread and butter, which is how they live, you know, that's their oxygen. Um, yeah, they're going to be fine. Uh, Evans has been, he has stepped in. He's been a total pro, absolute, everything you'd expect from a multi-year veteran uh, guy who's been to a couple pro bowls, been an all pro, you know, is he at that level now? Probably not, but they're not going to miss a beat on offense with him in there. It's a bold statement. Uh, you know, I think uh, having looked a, a little bit at, at Evans, um, you know, he graded out uh, on some sites like uh, Pro Football Focus, take it for what it's worth, is, you know, basically a league average or slightly below league average guard last year. And his strength, as you pointed out, Aaron, was was pass protection. Um, Absolutely. And, and so that that that's true. But comparing that to TJ Lang and Josh Sitton, who are Pro Bowl or All Pro level guards, feels like that's going to come back to affect the Packers in some way. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's not. Yeah, the past no, it will. They go there, but it feels like that's a pretty big unspoken aspect of of what's changed with this team. So, how good are Lane Taylor and uh, I believe your other guard? I'm trying to remember is oh. Jari Evans, we were just talking right. about. So, right. yeah. So, so how 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 much do you think that those losses are going to affect the Packers, and how do you think they're going to affect? The Packers? Well, it it's funny because that is the the real consternation in Green Bay at the moment. The the I've talked about it on the radio this morning, a local Milwaukee radio station. Uh, it, it is the number one thing coming out of camp where you're like, it's not so much at look. They're five starters. They're fine. They're set. They're going to be great. They're going to be really good up front. There is zero doubt there. Um, just because of the scheme. And you got to remember, Evans blocking for Drew Brees is a world of difference blocking for Aaron Rodgers. Um, Aaron's ability to escape the pocket, work outside the pocket, heck, that's what he wants to do anyway. Um, and remember, this team, this is a team that went 15-1 and one with Marshall Newhouse at left tackle. <laughs> you know, Aaron Rodgers is accustomed to having to get the ball out, having to find his guy, having to, to break the pocket early, whatever. Um, they're going to be fine up front. The question and the problem and kind of the thing that has Packer fans up at night is if any one of these guys, and we're already there, uh, you know, if any one of these guys possibly misses a start, or has to miss extended time, their backups all throughout camp and all throughout preseason have been absolutely abysmal, and which is one of the reasons they kept so many of them. They kept 10 offensive linemen on the initial 53-man roster, uh, which is already down to nine because they placed Don Barclay on injured reserve. They'll probably bring him back after eight weeks. But, I mean, Don Barclay is a journeyman. He's serviceable. They beat the Seahawks uh, with Don Barclay at right tackle. But, again, that's a big part of Aaron Rodgers, giving him a little bit of help, et cetera. Don Barkley is not very good, and he's the best of the bunch. Uh, the rest of them had really poor to horrendous uh, camps and or preseasons, which means, you know, the Packers have basically thrown a bunch of stuff against the wall and said, okay, we need to keep as many of these guys as possible. Maybe one or two of them will develop into something. Uh, but, man, it, it was – I mean, I feel for Brett Hundley. I mean, this was supposed to be his coming out party this preseason, and the guy could barely operate uh, half the time because literally he would get the snap and he's running for his life, you know, more often than not. So that to, that is where letting guys like Josh Sitton go, letting TJ Lang walk, 
Like it was all well and good because they had Lane Taylor, they knew what they had there, and they let him take over for Josh Sitton. But then you're weakening your base, you're weakening your your backups. So now they've kind of exhausted all of that capital, whether it's TJ Lang, whether it's Josh Sitton, whether it's JC Treader. They've let all those guys out the door, which is all well and good. You're being fiscally responsible, et cetera. But now if any one of your frontline guys goes down, which is inevitable in the NFL, you're going to have some juggling to do and you're going to you're going to really be uh, up against it. Yeah, there, I could go on on offense and I, I know Jeff might have some questions there, but let's switch over to defense for a second. So I was looking at some of the numbers for the Packers last year and um, you know, I give the Packers credit as being, you know, I think they've got Haha Clinton Dix who's obviously a great player. They had you know, some talent up front and Mike Daniels, Clay Matthews. They had Julius Peppers last year, who I think is actually a pretty big loss for that team, even at his age. Um, but then I look at the numbers and the Packers were dead last in the NFL in third down percentage for opponents. Oh, third down was brutal for this team last year. They were 28th in the NFL in yards per play, uh, 22nd in yards allowed, 31st in pass yards allowed, 30th in yards per attempt allowed. What? What's going on? And do you think that's <laughs> right. going to be significantly different this year? I do in so much that a lot of that damage that you're talking about, especially through the air, happened on third down. You mentioned the third down statistic, which is very legit. It's not one of those, well, there are all these extenuating circumstances. No, they were abysmal on third down. And mostly it was explosive plays, usually up the right sideline, but <laughs> explosive plays all over the field. On third down, they actually did a pretty decent job on first and second down. Third downs absolutely decimated this team last year to the point where it became a running joke on Twitter, seriously, every single week, where if they got a sack on second down and they put a team in third and 15 or whatever, you could count, like, there would be 10 tweets in a row. Oh, they got the, the Packers, you know, the, the, the whoever, the Bears, they got the Packers right where they want them. <laughs> because it really, it was, and it was almost automatic. It was, it was bizarre. If teams get, got the Packers in third and long, they, they did indeed have them right where they want them. So I think the additions that they've, you know, brought in this offseason, whether it's Devon House in free agency, the drafting of Kevin King, um, and I think they're banking big time on a return, maybe not a return to form, but a return to health from Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins and their continued development. Um, you throw all that together, are they going to be, you know, the Legion of Boom? Are they going to be even a top flight secondary? I don't think so. Um, but will they be competent? That's seriously all they need. Uh, you know, Everything after that is pretty much gravy at this point. If they can just be competent, they seriously should improve their all of those rankings you just discussed. They should improve all of those across the board just by being able to get off the field on, a, on the occasional third down because that was something they could not do to save their lives last year. Yeah, it's funny you're saying that because the Seahawks and our fans have the same view of the offensive line right now. That's kind of funny. We spent so much time with the Packers offensive line when we'd probably be lucky to have half of that. But stick right. with the secondary. Kevin King, you brought up. He's a guy a lot of Seahawks fans were really upset they passed on him a couple times in the in the first round of the draft. Right. He was a local. He played in Washington. Is he where do you see his role to start the season? How has been how's he been looking? Because there's been mixed reports on him throughout camp. Yeah, I think you know, he looks like a rookie. And I think he looks exactly like you would expect if you're objective and you've taken off whatever blinders you may have. Uh, 
I know there was a lot of hype around the kid uh, leading up to the draft. There was the Richard Sherman comparison, which I think did this kid no favors. Um, but I thought he handled that very well. I loved his social media responses to that. Uh, but you know, yes, he he's had up, he's been up and down. He's a much more physical player than I think most people were expecting. Uh, he's been a much better tackler, uh, and his coverage has actually been uh, surprise m- better than I expected it to be. Because you know, these kids they come into the NFL, and you know, in college they're able to rely on complete athleticism. They're able to whatever deficiencies they may have technique wise, they're able to overcome it just because they're the best athletes on the field. And then they get to the NFL and they're facing athletes who are as good, if not superior. And they think, and they realize, wait a second, holy cow, I really have to lean into my technique. And I think as camp has gone on and the preseason has gone on, you've seen him really kind of working on those things. You saw him after every single practice, and that's not an exaggeration, working with Devonte Adams on technique at the line of scrimmage because Adams last year had just a breakout season where he really became the master of getting off the jam and getting off of the line of scrimmage untouched. So to see him kind of take Kevin King under his wing and say, look, these are the tricks of the trade from the wide receiver side of things. um, I think King's had a really good education and I think the Packers will bring him along slowly if for no other reason, then that's always been their MO under Dom Capers. Even you mentioned Haha Clinton Dix earlier. He's a kid who was drafted in the first round, not like the second round like Kevin King, but the first round at a position at safety where they had had horrific play for a number of years, but especially the year before he got there. So he's drafted in the first round. You think he's, here we go. Here's the safety savior, et cetera. Even, he had to sit almost a month before he was starting. And I think Kevin King is in the exact same situation where they will use him in in nickel and dime. They will use him in certain packages, but it will be a while before you see him starting. I think that's will happen eventually down the line this season, but it'll be a while. So uh, another name that links uh, Seattle and and uh, Green Bay is Eddie Lacy. Uh, and yeah, I thought you were, I thought you were going to say Mike Holmgren. All right, anyway. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. We were just talking about the uh, the old uh, we'll take the ball and score game. Early, I love, I love but, the big uh, show. Love the big show. Yes. Uh, so Eddie Lacy, um, you know, high pick for the the Packers was a guy that seemed like a core part of what they were doing, and then wasn't. And uh, well documented issues with weight and had some injury issues. Um, he's looking healthy and ready for the the Seahawks. What what kind of uh, expectations would you say are realistic for Seahawks fans to have about Eddie Lacy? What do you think they're getting in him? Oh man, and they're why guy, do you think the Packers right. moved on? I think the Packers moved on. You know, they were amiable to bringing him back if the price was right and if he didn't like what he found out there. That's kind of how they operate with a lot of their guys who hit free agency. But I do think he was ready for a change of scenery. I think the Packers were ready to move on essentially from all of the off-season, off-field stuff. And it's nothing – I mean, I think Eddie's a great guy. I don't think there was anything he did that was – you could point to that and say, oh, that's trouble. We can't handle that. I think a lot of this off-field stuff got blown out of proportion. But I do think he struggled with the weight, with the conditioning, and probably more the conditioning than the weight. Um, when it got to the point where at the end – two seasons ago – his closing press conference, Mike McCarthy actually called Eddie Lacy out. That is literally the first time I can remember Mike McCarthy being negative toward any player 
in his tenure as head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And we all in the media and, uh, you know, everybody who kind of follows the team closely were really taken aback by that. When he met, he legit mentioned the weight and conditioning in the, his season closing press conference. And this was after they had had to bench him in Detroit because he was late for curfew, et cetera. You know, so there was, that's what I mean. There was little off field things where, I just think it kind of all added up where they were just they wanted a clean slate at, at the running back spot, even though and this is to get the other part of your question as far as what the Seahawks are getting and a, a guy who runs as hard as anyone in the league um, is so much more shifty and nimble than anyone would think for a back his size uh, has great vision has great cutback ability m- way better hands than you expect and is such a good pass protector. Uh, that's another area aspect of his game that I don't think gets talked about at all, but he has always been lock solid in his pass protection um, and been a guy willing to put his nose in there against blitzing linebackers, against d- defensive ends, defensive tackles. It doesn't matter. He's going to step up and protect the quarterback. So you put all that together, and I think they're getting a really good football player. Again, I understand why. The off-field stuff is kind of snowballed to overshadow what he does on the field. But I tell you what, last year, prior to his injury, um, it, by the way, a game where he played, he went into that Dallas game already banged up. He probably shouldn't have been on the field. Went out there, taped it up, whatever, got out there for the Packers and played a hell of a ball game against the Cowboys and then was being run when they were way out of it. I mean, this game was over. It was the fourth quarter. The Cowboys had basically stuffed it down their throats and Mike McCarthy is still running Eddie Lacy on a bad ankle. And then that was where he hurt himself to the point where he had to be, you know, put down for the year. You know, this is a guy who is an absolute stud as far as a football player goes. So I, I think the, the Seahawks are getting a, a really good football player who's really going to help them this year. So uh, you've been on for a long time. We appreciate it. And I want to make sure. Do you have time for a couple more questions? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Everyone- so. Please, my girls are asleep. Although maybe someone comes out here and sleepwalks soon, but you know, <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, I uh, I will be sleeping at the time uh, you're now currently awake uh, when <laughs> it gets there on the West Coast. That's yeah, so, all good. Um, so uh, you mentioned off field, um, off field around uh, issues around Eddie Lacy. There's other Seahawks that have had some off field issues that are new. No. Um, oh. Sheldon Richardson uh, is right. the newest Seahawk, and uh, it's obviously caused quite a commotion around here and. I'd be interested in your take on what you think that means um, for for the Seahawks, you know, from outside looking in. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you're in New York, so you might have some insight on, on Sheldon being there. And then, uh, you know, what do you think that does to the balance of power um, overall? What do you think of the move? I tell you what, it's a, it's a quintessential John Schneider move. Uh, I think it's the absolute – it kind of draws a delineation between um, – Ted Thompson and John Schneider, where Ted goes out and gets uh, Ahmad Brooks, who's been cut, but who also has an off-field issue hanging over his head, although I don't think it's generated as much publicity. Uh, he still has a court date to be set for his involvement in the Ray McDonald case back in 2014. But with Sheldon, you know, I think he's a hell of a player. Uh, he was kind of lost last year, and I don't know whether that was because of off-field stuff, because of his, you know, the, his many documented kind of run-ins with whether it was Brandon Marshall, whether it was Todd Bowles, what have you. But I tell you what, when his head is right and he's playing 
his brand of football, he's a load and he's a he's a troublemaker on the field. And he's a guy you're going to have to pay attention to as an offensive coordinator. You're going to have to figure out how you're going to get him blocked because I don't think there's too many people in the league that can block him one on one. Now that said, the balance of power, etc., like that. I mean, if there's a locker room that can handle him, it's in Seattle. You know, I think there's always a handful of locker rooms because of the coach, because of the players, uh, because of the just the environment that's been created by the franchise, whether it's New England, whether it's uh, Pittsburgh, whether it's Seattle, that can take on players like this and go, look, we we know what we're doing here. We know this type of player. And, you know, I think Seattle can handle it. And I'm really I'm, – I got to admit, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say – that is generated drama in Seattle because I haven't seen any of it. No, and I say I say and generally and generally I'm a I'm you know you guys know me I'm on yeah. the internet 24 hours a day I'm generally kind of aware of that when that kind of thing happens but I haven't seen anything like that. Yeah, so it's not when I said commotion I should be more clear. Uh, people are extremely excited. There's not a lot <laughs> okay, of negative. All right, it's, all right. it's, it's that's, like, people that's are, kind of what I've seen. People all right, are all buzzing, right. uh, to put Very it good. in better words. Um, <laughs> and and you know the the point of view around here is that this this already looked like a defense that was set to play better than it did last year, and it was a top five defense last year. Uh, you know, people are all back to where they're going to be. And Frank Clark was already on the com. He had ten sacks last year. Right. And now you throw in Sheldon Richardson. Everyone thinks. You know, there may not be a defense that can compare him. There might not be an offense that can handle these guys. And so I just wanted to kind of get a point of view from the outside. Is is that right. is that just a Seattle homerish view that's starting to develop? Or do you no, think I think I, I think that's a legit view. Of course, it's all on paper and we gotta play the games, but I, I think most teams will struggle mightily against the Seahawks. I do think Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau, if there's a if there's a quarterback in a situation that that can handle not only the front seven, but the entire defense of Seattle. And I don't think they're going to march up and down the field. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the 38 to 10 version that we saw last year. But I do think Aaron, with his hard count, with his ability, you know, you're talking to Sheldon Richardson or you're talking about the front seven in general. You know, at some point they're going to sub. And at some, you know, when that happens, Rogers is going to try and catch him out uh, like he always does when they're running on and off the field. So they know they got to they got to practice that all week and they got to make sure the rotations are tight. Uh, and they got to make sure that Sheldon Richardson is, you know, healthy, uh, fit, uh, his conditioning is up, blah, 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 all that stuff. But that's the one area where the Packers have the last two times, at least with Seattle have, have kind of come out on top is Rogers manipulating the offense to kind of stop and start, get going. I mean, you saw the, the touchdown he threw, what was it two years ago? against Richard Sherman. No one ever throws touchdowns against Richard Sherman, but Rodgers did it because he had a free play because he got Michael Bennett to jump off sides. And he threw that fantastic throw to James Jones in the end zone. Well, I guarantee you, I would bet my, my house and my kids savings on if that's a, a regular play and he does, he knows it's not a free play. There's no way on God's green earth. Aaron Rodgers makes that throw. He just doesn't do it. He's too risk averse. But knowing he had a free play, he made that throw. And that's where, at least the last two times these teams have played in Lambeau Field, that's where they've been able to take advantage. And I think, yes, Seattle will will definitely be a problem. And I think they will be tough. And they absolutely, you know, I think this is a total to- coin toss game. But if there's one team in one situation where they're able to kind of weather that storm, it's Green Bay and Lambeau. And you just mentioned the 38-10 game. 
and I know Dom Capers is a polarizing figure in Green Bay. And <laughs> that's putting it lightly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the one area he's definitely had success with is containing Russell Wilson. And he threw the right. career high five interceptions last year for most of that. I'm sort of bringing it up the NFC Championship game. Oh, fine. Green Bay should have won. Um, they had Russell Wilson completely stopped. Yeah. What? Are they doing there that <laughs> right? Their secondary couldn't stop anyone last year, and they just destroyed Russell and yeah. Well, what's, and okay, what's been the story? To be, to be fair, to be fair, especially yeah. in the 38-10 game. Yeah, and I I know you guys know this. Uh, you know, if Russell Wilson hits two throws early in that game that he normally yeah. makes, whether it's I can't remember who the receiver was, but there's somebody up the left sideline. Baldwin, side Baldwin, Baldwin up the left sideline, he beats Gunter. And then later on, Jimmy Graham on kind of it's, it's kind of a bit of a broken play, but Graham gets behind the defense and he misses that throw. That would have been a touchdown too. If he hits just those two throws early in the game, throws that he normally hits, it's a totally different game. The entire complexion of that game changes early on. Um, and then to couple, you know, to add on to that, a lot I've seen a lot of you know kind of previews for this game coming up already mention the five interception game and, you know, Dom Capers, et cetera. But let's be fair. I think at least two, maybe three of those interceptions hit receivers in their hands. You know, there were, there were, there were several throws where Russell Wilson did his job, you know, and, and his receivers let him down. Now that said, you can't erase the interceptions. You can't erase the one to Morgan Burnett. You can't erase the interceptions he threw in the NFC championship game uh, or the interception he threw two years ago in 2014. All that is legit. And I think Dom has done a good job. And it's funny because they do have kind of a book on this offense where I, I love telling, I tell this story all the time, but it's it's the absolute truth. The week leading up to that NFC Championship game, I'm sure you guys remember the kind of the mood, the feeling around the NFL, the NFL media at least, all week, and especially on my Twitter feed, was, well, Seattle's just going to destroy Green Bay. They're just going to absolutely blow them out of the water. They're, the, the defense, there's no way they can stop them. And I talked to the Packers scout who went to Seattle to do the advance uh, for Carolina, Seattle, because he was there to scout both those teams. Obviously, so whoever won that game, he would come back to the Packers with the report. And I'll never forget, I, I talked to him, I think, on Tuesday night after that game. And I said, you know, everyone's saying you guys are going to get killed. He said, we're going to hold them to 17 points. And I was just, I remember I was on the phone with the guy thinking, you're insane. What are you talking about? And lo and behold, he was absolutely right. You take away a fake field goal, you take away overtime, blah, 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 all these other extenuations. But like the core of that game, they absolutely did it. And for whatever reason, Dom seems to have Russell's tendencies because you'll notice some of the, uh, some of the stuff you can't stop. Like Russell Wilson is just an amazing athlete. He's just got a knack and inherent ability at the position to create. Uh, but Dom has come up with a couple different ways to kind of negate some of that. You're never going to negate all of it. But there's a lot of trap coverage, a lot of single high stuff where I think, you know, they're able to drop guys into the box and they're still covered deep. Now, Sam Shields helped with a lot of that. Uh, they didn't have Sam last year, but Sam helped with a lot of that. Uh, but you know, they've just found ways to limit his explosiveness. And you're never going to, like I said, you're never going to take it all away. But Don's done a, a good job there. Last question I had for you uh, is if you're if you're a Seahawks fan, which, uh, mm -hmm. uh, what 
What's the way that you think the Seahawks win this game? What's the, what would have to unfold for them to win, which is incredibly hard to do in Lambeau Field? They have to, they have to become the team that they were uh, when they had Marshawn Lynch, which obviously is tough because you don't have Marshawn Lynch, but I think they have the personnel to do it. Uh, they have to run the football until it, 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 no one on Green Bay wants to see another running play again. It's it, they have to impose their will. They have to limit what they're asking Russell Wilson to do. And I know that's counter to the way this team is probably growing. It's very much become Russell Wilson's team. And I understand that. I think he's a phenomenal talent. But I think in Green Bay against Aaron Rodgers, who's going to get his, you know, this Green Bay offense is going to score some points. Uh, I think the the best way to beat them is just to grind it out, uh, you know, shorten the game, limit Rodgers' possessions. And, and you know, it's the old kind of way that teams used to try and beat Peyton Manning. And obviously, it doesn't always work, but I think that is your best bet. And if they can, if Rawls does play, I think if they can use Rawls, if they can use Lacey, size, even Carson, whoever, if they can use the stable of backs that they have, and they have a lot of talented backs, and they can just get a running game going. Because, you know, let's face it, the Packers are in sub 80% of the time, even against teams that use, you know, power formations. So if they can start just grinding things away, it's going to be ugly, whether it's, you know, second and seven, third and four, whatever. But just move the sticks, get the ground game going. If they can do that, I think they have a real good shot of coming out of Lambeau with a win. All right, Aaron, we don't want to keep you all night. That was that was fantastic stuff, and we want to wish you the best of luck no this problem. season. And absolutely, yeah, anything you ever need, let us know because that was that was a great interview, man. We'll do absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, thank you, uh, and and uh, enjoy your plane ride. <laughs> I will Saturday night. Can't wait. All right, I know there's a lot of jealous fans around here. Take Sweet. care, Aaron. All right, have a good night. Thank you. So, Jeff, we've got a lot to talk about with what Aaron covered. I mean, once again, um, you know, you brought on Mike Garofalo uh, a couple episodes ago, and Mike broke a little bit of news around. He, he was pretty clear about what Sheldon Richardson uh, might be coming and uh, gave people news about that. Also about Malik McDowell maybe not playing ever again, and that was one of the first places that that news came out, and I've seen it coming around here. Aaron Nagler, um, another great get by you. Uh, he comes out and says he doesn't think Brian Bulaga is going to play on Saturday or on Sunday. Sorry, regular season. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, it's it's a game-changing situation. You saw it in the season opener two years ago. Kyle Murphy mentions playing his – it's going to be his first start. And two years ago when he mentioned Sherrod came in, Michael Ben and Averill were taking turns lining up against him because they were just blowing by him. And he mentioned speed rushers. Cliff Averill lines up against the right tackle on the majority of his snaps. That gives Seattle such an advantage for a mobile quarterback like Rodgers. And now you got guys like Frank Clark, even Marcus Smith, who's a pure speed rusher. They got guys who can fly off the edge from the and that may that could be the difference in the game right now because Belaga's a really good, stable right tackle. And we've seen in Seattle, when you don't have a stable tackle, even with a mobile quarterback, it's a game wrecker. You can't get through your offense. And that is one area where Seattle is going to need to exploit to win the game because he said it, when Aaron Rodgers has time or when he's able to force Michael Bennett or anyone to jump offside, he's going to make advantage of those free plays. And on the right side there, 
they did two years ago, and I think it could happen again. Yeah, I, <laughs> nothing's more frustrating uh, for Seahawks fans probably than watching uh, Aaron Rodgers draw Michael Bennett offsides for you know the sixth time in a game. Um, it's kind of the the worst possible combination, the best hard count guy in the league against the worst uh, holding his water guy in the league um, on the defensive side. But <laughs> um, look, I, I, I never want to directly take on a guest because it's bad form, but um, I, I feel like Aaron was, he was super bullish about that Packers offensive line. Um, and I've seen that same point of view across all Packers coverage, which is, Hey, they're starting five is great. Not just okay, it's great. They're rock solid. The only problem really is with their backups. I don't believe that is the case. I, you know, Jari Evans is not TJ Lang. And if you look at Pro Football Focus as one point of view, it's just one, you're talking about a guy in um, TJ Lang who was like a plus 18, plus 19 player last year. He's pr clearly Pro Bowl quality. He can block the run as well as he blocks the path. Josh sitting the same kind of way. And you're talking about guys in um, Evans. Evans was negative uh, 0.3 last year. He had a plus 2.3 pass um, block and a negative 3.7 run block last year. And look, I, I just think that, yeah, maybe Aaron Rodgers is great at dealing with poor offensive line play, but we'll talk about that in a second because I'm not even sure that's true. But um, a big part of what that team struggled with is, is they couldn't get a run game going last year. And so I think when you're talking about going to um, Jari Evans, who is not a great run blocker anymore, and you're talking about um, uh, Lane Taylor, who, uh, by the way, was a negative 7.9 player last year, on pro football focus and negative 8.1 run blocking. Look, you know, that's going to have an effect on this game. And then if you pull out Brian Bulaga, who was their, you know, second best pass blocker, if that actually happens and you pair that with what may be the most fearsome front seven in the NFL, almost definitely the more fearsome front seven the Seahawks have had, um, I think that there's reason to to believe the Seahawks could cause a lot of trouble. And and people forget Aaron Rodgers has a tendency to take sacks. Yeah. Um he he's I almost call it an ego issue. He he doesn't believe that he's gonna go down. He thinks he's gonna make some kind of play out of it, and he won't throw it away. He took eight sacks, wasn't it, against the Seahawks? Yeah, the fail Mary game. It was the underlying story of that game. So, you know. I, I am not nearly as bullish on the Packers offensive line as as uh, Aaron was. Um, that's going to be an interesting, like, it, to see that much of a difference or hear that much of a difference in a point of view. I'm, I'm really curious to see how that plays out. Yeah, and when you, you're, you're going up against the best defensive line in the league, and you just mentioned the two guards, right? That's two right. The guards are going to have to go against Sheldon Richardson, Michael Bennett, maybe some Frank Clark, Matt Nazir Jones. That's a huge matchup. And if you remember a few years ago, the game where Aaron Rodgers really got beaten up in the game was when Denver attacked them with Wade Phillips' defense and a dominant defensive line really flustered. It was a massive blow. I think the year Denver won the Super Bowl. And Seattle did it, you mentioned, a couple of years ago when Chris Clemens had four sacks. I believe Bruce Irvin had a bunch of sacks. They beat him with edge rush, and they beat him up the middle. And 
If these guards can't block Seattle, who probably has the best interior pass rush in the league right now, that's a huge game because no matter how well Rodgers can jump them offside or how well he can move around the pocket, if you're getting hit up the middle, there's no stop for that. That's why we said it earlier. It's the most dangerous thing a defense can have. It's why Aaron Donald blows up a superior Seahawks team and is able to keep the Rams in those games. And now Seattle has one of those players against a team we think with a weak interior offensive line. That's a huge thing for these guys. Yeah, and one of the interesting things there, um, Jeff, is um, you know we 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 asked Aaron about the the defensive problems the Packers had last year, and just going over that again, I'll, I'll show this in a second, but. You know, they're near the bottom of the barrel in, um, you know, third down. They were they're the last in the league in third down defense, um, you know, 28th in yards per play. They had a lot of bad stuff going on there and didn't really get into why. Um, one of the things that's interesting is, like, my first thought is, well, maybe they weren't so great with pass rush, and that left the secondary out to dry. Well, they were seventh in the NFL in sack rate. Um yeah. So they seem to generate a decent pass rush. Maybe lost but, their best pass rusher. But, you know, we're not able to generate a, enough coverage, I guess, to, to, to sustain. Or maybe they had – I don't know. I, I really don't have an explanation for it. But they were bad. They were super bad. I mean, this is a team that last year, their final game, even after they, they ran the table as Aaron Rodgers wanted them to um, and looked great doing it, they gave up 44 points uh, to the Falcons in, in the last game of the season and uh, just got run over. So uh, and now they've lost Julius Peppers, who is, you know, uh, eight sacks last for them and placed him with anybody. Uh, I don't see a guy on that team that's going to replace that kind of pass pressure. And Julius Peppers is a pretty good run defender as well. So, um, you know, Ahmad Brooks – he is not Julius Peppers. Um, no, not even anymore. Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry are their other guys up front, and and neither one of those guys are pass rushers. No. And I look back at their roster, and in the 2015 draft, they spent high picks on two cornerbacks, Quentin Rollins. I believe the other one was Demarius Randall. And those guys really took a step back last year, and they struggled all year long, some with injury, some with just poor play. And that's why they had to spend another high pick on Kevin King this year. They brought back Davin House. And they're still, it seems, based on what Aaron was saying, they're still unsettled there. And cornerback play was their issue all year, maybe other than that one Seattle game where he's right. Russell Wilson missed some easy touchdowns that game. And that was probably the height of frustration last year for this offense. But they weren't able to cover anyone all year. It was a consistent theme. And – other than bringing back a guy who got cut by Jacksonville, Davin House, and a rookie who's probably going to be brought along slowly, they might have trouble covering Seattle's receivers because most of those interceptions, I hate to say this, were targeted to Jermaine Curse in, those, in that NFC Championship game. And then last year, there were just a couple fluke plays and then maybe a couple bad decisions. But they're going to have to, going to, have to do a big job in coverage. But another thing that interests me from Aaron he was a lot higher on Eddie Lacy than maybe a lot of Packers fans or a lot of Seahawks fans have been. I was a little surprised how kind of fired up he was about Lacy. Yeah, it was nice to hear. I mean, I, I think that Packers fans, um, I think they appreciate what they saw from Lacy. And, and what I think Seahawks fans may not realize is 
he never was bad. <laughs> no. There were times he was unavailable. He was injured, um, but he was never bad. He was a good running back for them whenever he was in the game, and he was a difference maker. So um, I don't think Packers fans look back at him as, um, you know, a guy they were glad to be rid of. Um, you know, this is a guy that that um, made a difference for them and gave them a little bit of uh, a personality that I think in general they kind of lacked through some of Aaron Rodgers' career, which is – they're kind of soft, you know, in general. They're not the stoutest team. Uh, um, they've now developed a, a pretty powerful offensive line over the years that now is kind of degraded again. But Eddie Lacy was the bruiser um, to go along with Rodgers, who was much more the, you know, sophisticate. And um, so I, I think I think they, they missed that. Um, Ty Montgomery certainly is not going to replace Eddie Lacy from a power running perspective. And I don't think they have anyone that will. No, and you're you're right. This one of the, the stories kind of there's a it's a view in some league circles that the Packers are kind of wasting Aaron Rodgers' career because they haven't put a good enough defense around him. And we've seen in Seattle how important winning a championship was. And I was looking back at their depth chart when they did win their Super Bowl in 2010, a roster that John Schneider had a big role in building. And they had guys like Charles Woodson and Nick Collins and BJ Raji, Clay Matthews and his rookie year or second year aj hawk these these were difference makers all over that defense and that really helped kind of pair with rogers now you look at the team and you're right they don't they are kind of soft because they don't have those other than mike daniels up front i'm saying before and maybe ha clinton Dix. they don't have those physical players on defense that kind of set the tone and you're right the running game too p carroll's one of his beliefs is that the running game is what makes you a physical team and they don't have it. They got a converted receiver plan there. That's right. And and I want to go back to something you said about coverage. I want to show you something here. And for sure. those walk watching, um, so let's see how this comes through. But um, take a look at Pro Football Focus. Um, this is the the Packers um, defense last year. And if you go to pass coverage specifically, and you look at the guys, they had three players that were, you know, in the green for pass coverage. Morgan Burnett, Ladarius Hunter, and McKinton Dorient, who played all five snaps. <laughs> um, you go down to the bottom, the worst of the worst. DB, DB, DB. That's Quentin Rollins. That's Blake Martinez, a linebacker. Hello, Jimmy Graham. Yeah. Um, you know, that's Demarius Randall. You know, their yep. starting cornerback was the worst Mitchell. coverage player, right? Quentin Rollins, you know, the the nickel guy you're talking about, not a good coverage player. Jake Ryan, another um, linebacker, not a good coverage player. And so you look here, and yeah, they've got a couple guys, but that is abysmal. Um, you know, overall as a team, you're talking about, you know, a pretty bad number there um, for them. And it's interesting to see – you know, when I then go over and I'll give you a glimpse of what I've got for tail of the tape that'll be coming out tomorrow, that starts to make a little bit more sense when you're looking at these numbers, right? So this is with the Seahawks on offense. Um, you know, you've got a situation here. These are all their ranks, and you wow. see where the Seahawks have advantage, and you see where the Packers have advantage. And, like, they gave up 31st in pass yards, 30th in yards per attempt. Here's that one I was talking about, third down percentage. 
that's a big one. You know, the Seahawks were not great in that last year. They're middle, middle of the pack. Um, this is a huge way for Russell to kind of change who he is. Another one here is explosive passes. They gave up more than, you know, they were 24th in the league in the amount of explosive passes they got. Guess what? The Seahawks were seventh in the NFL in creating them. I know a lot of folks, we think about the Seahawks offense as being, you know, really uh, pedestrian last year to use one of Doug's favorite terms. Um, but if you compare explosive passes for the Seahawks, they were seventh. The Packers offense, which everyone thinks of as the best passing offense or one of them around, they were 14th in explosive passes. So the Seahawks offense was actually a, a more explosive passing offense than the Packers was um, last year. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. And if you remember what Aaron said, he was talking about um, the run game. That was his strategy for beating the Packers or the Seahawks wanted to do it. The Ox, as we know, they struggled last year in, in running. They were 21st in the NFL in explosive runs. Um, and then uh, as far as rush yards and yards per rush, this is one of the worst rushing offenses in the league last year. And we've talked about all the reasons why from Russell's injury to, you know, Kristen Michael being, you know, the people forget he was our leading rusher last year, even though he didn't finish the, the season with the team. So, you know, they're going against a defense that actually defended the run pretty well. Wow. I don't know if I would say that um, that run defense or run offense is the key to this game. If I had to pick a key uh, without getting into all the detail, um, I think it's going to be Russell converting on third down and Russell converting in the red zone. Yeah. Um, I think if he's able to do that, I like the Seahawks' chances of – outscoring the Packers given the defense that the Seahawks are going to be able to put on the field. Yeah, exactly. And I, I still think the Seahawks are more comfortable in this matchup using a guy like Doug Baldwin. Uh, of situations in the slot. I don't know who's going to be able to cover him on their team in the slot. The strength of the Packers really in their coverage matchup is the safeties. So yeah, maybe a Jimmy Graham against a linebacker. That's kind of a, that's a mismatch. They can really take advantage of it. They can isolate him there or using Baldwin all over the field, or trying to get Richardson or Lockett deep. So there's a lot of different ways in the passing game. You could see Seattle exploit it. The run game, Mike Daniels is, again, he's the strength of their team, and he's probably going to have pretty good success against the Seahawks' interior, unless Justin Britt really can handle him. But looking at the matchups and the numbers you just pointed out, which were pretty telling, I'm with you. I think, I think the pass game is where they really stand out in this matchup. Well, and let's take let's now take a look at the uh, Packers offense against the Seahawks defense. Let me show you that. So okay. let's go here. And one of the things that's interesting, not surprisingly, this is a more uh, even matchup. Sorry, let's get over to this. Yeah. So you see here, there's not quite as big of an advantage for one team or the other, but the Seahawks overall have the advantage based on last year's defense. Um, and last year's, and this includes the end where Earl Thomas was out. All those numbers started dropping. Yeah. Um, and it includes, you know, when the Packers started gaining. So um, one of the things that's interesting I'd call out here is this number here, the sack rate. And what do we talk about? Seahawks were number two in the NFL last year in sack rate. Um, this is not, again, this is not the number of sacks overall. This is the number of sacks per drop back. It's a way yeah. better way to, to judge um, pass pressure that, that a team creates because it's relative as opposed to just an absolute number. And and so um, 
Seahawks were, were really the best or one of the best pass rushing teams from a sack percentage perspective last year. That Packers offensive line that we just spent all this time, you know, uh, Aaron was saying is great and there's no worries. They were 13th last year with TJ Lang, Bakhtiari, and Bulaga. Um, they may be without Bulaga, and they are definitely going to be without Lang. So um, I don't know. This was not a great pass-protecting team overall last year as far as in terms of sacks given up. Yeah, it's pretty telling. And if you if you remember that game last year too, I quickly I want to. It was the first game the Seahawks played without Earl Thomas after he went down with that injury, and the Seahawks were. I mean, the Packers were really able to expose Jeremy Lane in that game, and kind of his tackling ability. It was maybe Lane's worst game of the season, so it's going to be interesting to see that. But you're right. That again, I we I can't say it enough. That's the matchup that to me dictates this whole game because. The interesting thing about those numbers for the Seahawks is Michael Bennett missed a bunch of time last year. He wasn't great in the second half of the year. And they were still able to have the second highest sack rate in the league. And now you add Sheldon Richardson, who we've been raving about all episode, who's going to completely open up lanes for the rest of these guys. Cliff Averill is going to get a great matchup on the outside. They have a pretty good group, even going eight, even though they're a bit thin at defensive tackle this week. And, there's a ton of areas they can exploit in that defense. And that to me, that's that's the biggest matchup for me. I don't know if that's how you see it, but I think that's where the Seahawks can really take over. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was just looking over at the box score for last year, and and the Seahawks actually rushed for 136 yards and five uh, – sorry, yeah, five yards per rush in that game, which is surprising. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and you look who did it, uh, it was Thomas Rawls, 12 rushes for 67 yards, 5.6 average, um, doing the bulk the of the damage. Too. It did. It did. I think that was working for them. Um, good old Alex Collins had seven carries for 23 yards, which was a 3.3 average. But you replace, you know, Alex Collins' seven carries. Uh, and by the way, Troy Main Pope uh, had one carry for 12 yards. But you replace those guys with, um, you know, Eddie Lacy, with CJ Procise, maybe with Chris Carson, and you're talking about a healthy Russell Wilson. Um, uh-huh, yeah, makes a little different reason to be bullish on how they can do it on the run. Um, and then, you know, from a receiving perspective, Baldwin was having a field day last year, and they just Russell just didn't have his greatest game. Um, he wasn't able to get him the ball that often. Um, if you want a deep, deep sleeper pick for this game. People probably don't remember it because they turned it off by then, but Tanner McAvoy had three catches for 41 yards, including a touchdown in that game. Huh. So uh, who knows? Maybe he'll come back, back in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's interesting. He's going to get a lot of playing time because they're probably going to ease Tyler Lockett in a little bit. Paul Richardson's coming off a bit of an injury, and I d- doubt Amara Darbo is going to even dress for this game. So I think McAvoy is going to get a bunch of snaps and you can, you can use them in a lot of different ways as a deep player, as a th- pretty good guy on third down. And yeah, that, that's a good sleeper pick. So after speaking to Aaron, are you more confident or are you, or is your confidence level similar after digging into those numbers? And um, You know, I, I would have liked to hear a little bit more uh, doubt about the offensive line. Cause I just, my, my gut is that everyone's talking about the Seahawks offensive line as a key. I think the Packers offensive line is a key to this game. And one of the reasons I'm feeling a lot more confident in general is just because 
I think Sheldon Richardson added to that group. Um, uh, well, no one's ever seen it before. No one knows how they're going to use him. Um, no one knows how they're going to try to block him. I don't think anyone has a plan um, for how to do it. And I think they're facing, you know, not necessarily the best interior line. Look, uh, of all the things Aaron said, that's the one that gave me a little bit of pause is like, maybe I'm just misreading it. Maybe they'll get out there and they will look just fine. But my gut is that the Seahawks defensive line with Sheldon Richardson, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, Frank Clark. It's, um, it's so crazy. You know, David Bass, uh, Nazir Jones, um, uh, Marcus Smith. Everyone they're going to rotate in there, um, I believe, is a is a is a wrecker. I, I think I think they they them all together. I think are just going to do some serious damage. So I don't know that that line is blockable. I honestly don't until I see it. I don't know if Sheldon Richardson, Frank Clark, Michael Bennett, and Cliff Averill, when they're on the team on the field together, I don't know whether it's blockable. That's not even talking about Bobby Wagner blitzing, who yeah. was a monster last year doing that. Yeah, winning with your front four is almost a cheat code because then you can keep seven guys in coverage. And with these front four, they're going to be winning a lot. So, yeah, you saw it. You've seen it in the past. If you have a dominant trench play, especially on defense, it makes up for so many other holes. And there were so many worries about the secondary and who's going to be the corner opposite Sherman. Just look at the same history. The two teams to beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl were the New York Giants with dominant defensive line play. Their secondary wasn't special. It was probably average in both those years, and they beat probably the greatest quarterback in history simply through this defensive line. And from a talent perspective, you could argue that this group in Seattle has more talent than those Giants teams. And when the year against New England in the Super Bowl with a totally banged-up secondary and Tom Brady needed a fourth-quarter comeback, they couldn't block Michael Bennett all game. Until Cliff Averill went down, that was the interior guy who just blew up their offensive line who probably has a worse interior group than these guys. So, well, and, and that's, that's one of the things people just fail to realize about the Sheldon Richardson deal is everyone's like, Oh, he had one and a half sacks last year. You know, when they want to be negative, they bring that up. Yeah. It's not, first of all, Sheldon Richardson played outside linebacker standing up last year at 300 pounds. He was completely misused. Um, and he's back to his home. He talked about it this week. He's back at three technique defensive tackle. The guy was a rookie of the year. He was a pro bowler, you know, in that kind of role. He is going to do just fine there. And he's not just a pass rusher. He's one of the best run defenders in the NFL. He and Michael Bennett are top five in the league. Um, whether you look at pro football focus, whether you look at just run stuffs uh, as a statistic, which are tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage, Michael Bennett and Sheldon Richardson are both top five players. So, you're going to have both of those guys all the time. You're not going to be getting much in the run. Um, a, lot, a lot of fans were nervous about how the, the defense was looking against the run uh, in the preseason. They got a whole hell of a lot better with Sheldon Richardson in there. And, and then you're talking about um, adding into that a Frank Clark who we don't know what's, what's going to happen this year, but a guy that had 10 sacks last year um, and, and absolutely should step forward. So, I think with the kind of chaos they're going to create, there's a really real chance that the the takeaways are going to go up, and we're going to see um, opportunity for linebackers, for safeties to make plays. I've never seen Earl Thomas like he looks right now. Never. Yeah. I mean, he he's been faster. 
he has been younger, but he is he is as locked in as I've seen, as intense as I've seen, and in as good a shape as I've seen. Um, and he's on as much of a mission as I've ever seen him. So this is arguably the best player on the team, Earl yeah. Thomas. And, and he's okay. ready for, I think, his best season. So there's just up and down the, the roster. There's reason to be really uh, excited about what – and look, one last thing before I'll, <laughs> I'll get off my soapbox here is Aaron said, hey, if there's one team that can do it, it's Green Bay at home. They're set up to do it. My read of that, Jeff, is if you do this, if you beat Green Bay at home, there's nobody else. Right? Yeah. You've started your season – by beating the, one of the toughest teams in the toughest venues. And you don't face Tom Brady the rest of the year. So let's see what happens. It's great. It's just, it's so exciting right now that you look top to bottom on the CFs defense, this defensive line. And I know, I know you talked to a lot of people in the organization, their new defensive line coach has been generating a ton of buzz around the team. And Clint Hurd is a guy who's really talented. He was a good, rec- great recruiter in college. He worked with a lot of high-level players in terms of development. And I know there's a ton of buzz around him. And you give him this kind of talent, it's it's crazy, man. They have, they've never had a three technique like this. That's what they said when they drafted McDowell. They said they've been looking at a player like this since the, Pete's got here. And now they got a guy that probably could have never thought they would land on this defense. And it's just going to be so fun to watch that group all year. There's not a front like that in football, top to bottom. And I just, a picture Michael Bennett tweeted out too yesterday was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that picture, man. Yeah, death row. Uh, yeah. We'll see if that catches on. I was telling them they, they got to definitely uh, trademark something because, look, I, I didn't have a chance to write the article, but, um, you know, maybe I will <laughs> after this game or later this week. But I think it's a legitimate question right now, which is, What's the best part of the Seahawks defense? The Legion of Boom or the front seven? And, you know, in the past, it's always been about that secondary. Right now, I think hands down, if you're talking front seven, the front seven is the better part of that defense. <laughs> and you're talking about a Hall of Fame, potentially three Hall of Famers, at least two in that secondary. It's crazy, man. And if you talk, even if you narrow it down to just the defensive line versus the secondary, four versus four, that's tough. I mean, like, what level of that defense do you win at? Um, you know, the Sam linebacker, they're on there, you know, 30% of the plays. Maybe second corner, Shaquille Griffin, I think is going to end up at the end of this season being one of their better players. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot to like about what's going on there. And um, I don't care who you are. If you're facing second and 10, second and 11, every play and on third down you're in an obvious pass situation and you've got the best pass rushing foursome in front of you you're gonna have trouble you you're not i don't care even if you're aaron Rodgers, you're not going to consistently convert third and long it just doesn't happen in the league no i, I don't know i i couldn't agree more it's just this team is so much fun and right now especially from a defensive perspective and you're right about earl thomas man and I, the injury it's in a twisted way it might have been a blessing in disguise because it's kind of changed his perspective kind of gave him a, a look at what things were like without him on defense and how he made himself feel so important and kind of revamped his commitment in a time where things were kind of getting out of control with the team and the locker room so that might have been a blessing in disguise for seattle but i don't know if you want to get into this on the site or if you want to maybe save this for later in the week but 
Do you have a prediction on this game, or is that something you want to hold off on maybe till you get the Bulaga news or you get Thomas <laughs> Rawls news? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't typically get into predictions yeah, on, for, for games. The, the times that I do is when I have a really, really clear read. So <laughs> you'll see in, in my tale of the tape, I'll break down every different section. And as I do that, I actually, as I'm writing that, I do some research and then I go back and write some more because the questions come up. And so I haven't even finished that article yet. I was just exactly. showing you some of the, the charts there. Maybe I would come out with, with some confidence in how that's going to play out. Most likely I'll come out with what are the key aspects that are going to make or break this game. So I'm not sure. um, you know, when I come out with a prediction, it's because I know. And like, yeah. you know, before the Super Bowl against the, the Broncos, I went on air multiple places. I knew it was going to happen in that game. I saw it really clearly. Uh, I even predicted that they'd score over 40 points. Um, the only thing I got really wrong in that game was that uh, I had the the Broncos scoring in the 20s, and they clearly didn't do that. But um, every once in a while, I get a really clear read on how a game's going to play out and and how the matchup's going to be. And in those cases, I'm happy to to, to share. But exactly. this game, I don't think so. I think it's it is absolutely too close to call. And part of the reason is, like I said, we've never seen this defensive line play. Like this could be, this could be a '70s Steelers defensive line for all we know, and nobody yeah. can beat it. So I don't know if how much you want to keep in on this game. We've been going for an hour and a half now. Aaron was fantastic tonight, but I don't. I know if you want to wrap up right now, but well, let's take a couple more minutes here. First, do you have a prediction in this game? Do you have a clear point of view? I'm still waiting on that Bulaga news. I think that, to me, could swing the entire game. And I also want to see maybe more who who's going to start a running back because the depth chart came out today, as Aaron indicated. There was a little controversy. Thomas Rawls opened up as, as the number one running back on the depth chart. He's been nicked up the last couple of weeks, and they're going to need to run the ball a little bit to be this team. That's part of their identity now. They've gone back to their roots. and I, I'm really comfortable with Seattle in pretty much any game right now. Because when you have a defensive line like this, when you got a quarterback like this, you're going to be in every game. It's amazing. We've probably gone an hour and a half and haven't expressed fear about the offensive line. <laughs> and it's because there's so much to like on this team right now, and they haven't really had a roster like this. And I know we mentioned in earlier shows, when they had Jordan Hill going that one year and Clinton McDonald, it made such a big difference. Interior pressure helps them so much. It wasn't just that edge rush that everyone talks about. Still there, Jeff? Did you run out of your internet? <laughs> okay. Well, I think what Jeff's getting at is uh, definitely going to be an interesting game for the the offensive line of Seahawks. Obviously, we're all going to be evaluating that. And um, you know, the thing to watch there is going to be penalties. Honestly, yes, we're going to be watching whether guys get beat, but uh, can they hold their water? You know, can they avoid getting false starts so that, you know, you're not facing a first and 15? Can they avoid holding penalties so you're not, you know, at second and 20? Um, if they can work on schedule, then I like this team's chances. And watch watch the runs to the right side. So, um, Jermaine Effetti, for all the, the, the crap he gets, and a lot of it is absolutely well-deserved, the guy is a plus run blocker, and he's done really well um, on runs to the outside, sealing the edge. Watch that in this game. Um, the Packers didn't face C.J. Procise. You know, they didn't have to see what he could do. It's going to be a really interesting matchup for the, the Packers to have to deal with. 
Um, they haven't had to deal with Chris Carson, who's a different style runner, or they haven't had to deal with an Eddie Lacy. So there's a number of those players that I think will factor in. Yeah, sorry and about that. That's all right. And then, uh, you know, I think the Seahawks receiving core, um, you know, and I'm including Jimmy Graham in that list, uh, is going to give them all sorts of trouble. And this is one of the worst secondaries, or at least perceived to be, uh, based on statistics last year in the NFL. So I think that's going to be a big deal. And yeah, Jeff, I think, you know, we can, we can close up here. Um, you know, I could honestly talk the rest of the night about this I game and about other Seahawks stuff. Um, but uh, uh, what are going to be the two key things you're going to be looking at in this game? To me, number one is red zone play. And I'm glad you mentioned Jimmy Graham because he, to me, he's such an X factor on the season. He played pretty well considering everything he went through in the last offseason and getting 900 yards and six touchdowns, more, a bunch of catches from him. That was without an offseason. That was an injury that derails careers regularly. Now he's had a full offseason. He's looked great to me in preseason games. I know the team is really buzzing about him. This is a matchup he can really make a difference in. Red zone, getting touchdowns instead of field goals. That's how you got to win on the road and – Seattle has a multitude of weapons. They, got, they don't have Jermaine Curse this year. I don't want to bag on him, but he was been a, he's been an issue in the red zone. That's going to be number one. And number two, you got to stay disciplined on defense. Don't jump offside. Don't take too many penalties down the field and attack upfield with a defensive line. It's, to me, it's red zone on offense, discipline on defense. How about you? Yeah, I talked about third down and red zone. I think those are the key things are offensive on the offensive side. And and another thing that I, I'm going to be watching for is they've got to stay in this game in the first quarter, right? This can't be yeah. one of those things where they let it get away from them really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, in, this, in the game last year, it was 7-3 after the first quarter. It was 21-3 at halftime. Like, they've, they've got to keep this. Ideally, they get in front. Um, and um, are able to control the ball. So, you know, if there's, you know, I think I'll stick with third down and red zone as being the key stats in this game. And and specifically, I'd call out third down differential, which is a stat I love, um, which is, you know, Seahawks third down percentage on offense, subtracting the Packers third down percentage on on their offense, and who's better at converting. And and, uh, I think that's going to be a key one. And then, the telltale always Seahawks really suffered with takeaways last year. They weren't the same team yeah, they've been in terms of takeaways. One of the things I'm most excited about seeing this front seven is, is can they create enough chaos to cause bad decisions and some easy picks? Um, let's see what, let's see, let's see what happens here. Yeah, that's that to me is we mentioned we can, we defensive line versus offensive line. That's how you, you can create those turnovers. The speed of the Seahawks in the front seven is probably unmatched around the league. Even though the team's gone a bit older and they're more of a veteran group now, they're still crazy fast and they fly to the ball and they can disrupt passing lanes. They got size on defense. They got speed. That, that, that's been the difference because for great quarterbacks or a patient quarterback, there's been ways to knit or dink and dunk through throughout against this team and you don't get turnovers that way. And when Seattle has short fields and they can score quickly, they're they're impossible to beat because they're so strong top to bottom and they can do so many things 
they can win in a bunch of different ways. So you're right. Turnovers really got away from them the last couple of years. And when those were Super Bowl caliber teams, especially that run in 2014 and all of 2013, they're making game-changing plays. And against a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, you might need that. Well, with that in mind, um, you know, I want to encourage everyone that's tuned in. First of all, thank you guys for tuning in. It's great. Uh, I think uh, Jeff and I are going to keep bringing in um, great guests. Uh, Jeff's been working on that. I've got a few lined up. Um, we're gonna keep talking Seahawks plenty. And please click subscribe um, on the channel. Let's, oh, let's, let's keep boosting that number. We'll get more people in here. We'll get better guests even uh, as that goes along. Um, we'll allow Q&A over time as we do that. So click subscribe. Make sure you share this and tell other people about it. And I want to thank thank again to our sponsor for this episode, which is uh, John Hurlbud and Altitude Homes. Um, take a check there, altitude-re.com slash HB. Um, again, every uh, real estate transaction that they close, whether it's a sale or a buy, a uh, purchase of a home, um, they're going to donate an additional $500 to Ben's fund. So if you're selling your home or you're buying a home, why not give another extra bit of money to charity um, to celebrate that transaction and, and do it with Altitude Homes? So um, thank you to them. Um, thanks to, Je to Jeff for securing a great guest. And folks, we are days away from Seahawks football for real. And this is going to be one of those seasons you don't want to miss a second of. So Let's all get together. And hey, if you haven't already, sign up at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Become a, a hawkblogger insider. You'll get to come on. Um, there's a private Facebook group. We do a lot of additional conversation, a lot more higher touch stuff. Sign up there, and there's a lot of great stuff. And again, all this stuff ends up going back into charity. So let's have some fun this week. Take care, everybody. Take care, Jeff. Yeah, man. We'll, I'll see you next week. We'll, we'll have a ton of breakdown on this game and we'll preview the Niners game, first home game in Seattle this year. So that's going to be another fun show next week. I'm already fired up for it. Awesome. Bye, everybody. <laughs>